We're starting a new series today, and to get it kicked off, I want to ask you to raise your hand if you know who Larry Bird and Paul Pierce are. Raise your hand if you know Larry Bird and Paul Pierce. Keep your hand up for just a second. All right, if you know who they are, keep your hand up. All right, now I'm going to ask you a different question. Drop your hand only if it's true. Keep your hand up if you know who uh, Larry Bird and Paul Pierce is. Uh, if you know who they are, that's one thing. Here's my second question. Do you know Larry Bird and Paul Pierce? If you don't know them, put your hand down. See, I, I don't either. So like, I, I know who these people are, but I don't actually know them. And there's a huge difference between knowing about somebody and, and knowing them. And truthfully, the more you know them, the more accurate your information becomes about them. And your relationship uh, with any other person, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your parents, your brother, sister, best friend, roommate, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, your relationship is based on the information you have about them, how well you, you know them, and it's true in our relationship uh, with God also. Here's one thing that I believe is 100% true for every single person who's a part of our church family. I'm not going to say every person part of our, our church family, because I think this is true for every single person in the world. Uh, I think what God does through times of trauma is he grabs our attention. Would you guys agree with that? Because when everything's going great, it's really easy to forget about God. At least it is in my life. It's not that I don't know God or I don't believe in God or any, or I stop praying. I'm just saying that my prayers take on a whole different tone uh, when the poop hits the fan. Like, you want to see Sean, like, really, like, like, get calluses on his knees? Like, let something bad happen in Sean's life. God has 100% of Sean's attention. And that's what God does. And I think that's one of the good things that's going to come out of 2020 uh, is the way that this has caused all of us to realize how little control we actually have, uh, not just of the world in general, but of our own world and, and the things that affect us. Like, we're, we really don't have a lot of control. And what I hope this has done is forced you into a place where you've started giving more of your attention to God. Um, and, and here's why it's important for you to know God, because the more accurate your understanding of who God is, the more meaningful your relationship uh, will be with, with him. And, and that's why we're starting this series uh, that we're calling the one, the one and Only, God, the One, the one and Only. Uh, A.W. Tozer uh, is a famous theologian. I say famous. He's famous to preachers. Like if you're not a preacher, you don't know who A.W. Tozer is. But he's written a lot of books on theology that lots of preachers all over the world has read. So he's one of those preachers to preachers, uh, and he's a trusted source for theologians. But A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the single most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the single most important thing about you. So what comes into your mind when I ask you to think about God and who God is? Uh, how many of us, when we think about God and who he is, the mental image that popped into our head was the, the Simpsons God, who's in the cloud, who's got the, anybody else think of the Simpsons? Anybody? Am I the only pagan in the room who's thinking of the Simpsons when you ask me to think about God? Uh, maybe you think of the voice of, like, I, I, like when I think of like the voice of God, the voice of God sounds a whole lot like Morgan Freeman to me. Anybody else? Morgan Freeman has the voice of God. He does, right? Or maybe Octavia Spencer from The Shack. 
Uh, if you don't know who she is, she's also, I think she won an Academy Award for her role in the movie, The Help. Uh, but maybe if you saw the movie, The Shack, I, I didn't. But I, I, I look, images of God and Octavia Spencer's name came up. Or maybe God's a sparkle cloud with a deep voice, or maybe it's something completely different altogether. But there's another theologian who's actually still alive. Uh, Tozer is dead, but N.T. Wright is a famous theologian, at least to pastors, right? And he's a theologian in England, and here's what he said. He said, the Christian story claims to be the true story about God and the world. As such, it, Christianity, offers itself as the explanation of the voice whose echo we hear in the search for justice, the quest for spirituality, the longing for relationship, and the yearning for beauty. And as a Christian, it is imperative, it's incredibly important that we among all people in the world have an accurate understanding of who God is. So we're going to answer every question about God in the next four weeks. I'm just kidding, we can't do that. The idea that in a four-week series, we would be able to unpack and explain everything about God and answer everybody's question about God is a little ridiculous. But if God did want to be discovered, if God did want to be found by those he had created in his image, how would he do it? He would use words. But the words God would have to use would be the words that we understand, even if the things about God would be things we would not understand. So God would use very simple words to explain very complex things about himself. And if this is true, then we can expect that even though there's going to be things that we read in the Bible that simply tell us how it is, it's going to be okay with us if even if we know the words he's saying, if we don't understand everything that that means about who he is. And that brings me to the first thing I want to share with you guys about what the Bible has to say about the one and only God, and that is this. Number one, there is only one God. There is only one God. That's why Jesus was able to say, not as a jerk, but in love and compassion, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to the Father unless they go through me. All he's saying is, there's nobody else coming for you. I'm it. And he wasn't saying that Christianity is better than Islam, because the word Christian didn't even exist at the time. Or that Judaism isn't as good as Christianity or anything like that. All he's saying is... I'm the only one that he sent for you. So if you miss me, you miss, you miss God. The Jews have a, a prayer that's called the Shema. Has anybody ever heard of the Shema before? The Shema? It is a prayer. It's like a pledge of allegiance. It's a worship song uh, almost. Like it, it has a rhythm to it. And it's something that dev devout uh, and very religious Jews would pray in the morning, when they wake up, and at night before they go, bed, go to bed. And they, they still do this even now. They, they pray the Shema twice a day. And here's what the Shema is, and it comes from the Torah. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5, and here's what it says. Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your being, and all of your might. So it's not just saying that 
We've chosen out of all of the gods that exist that he alone is going to be our God. What they're saying is there is one God. He is our God, and we will love him with everything that we are. Now, this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, comes after Deuteronomy chapter 4, where, they say, where it says more specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35, it says, he, he, God, showed you these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. That becomes the beginning of the Shema. And there is no other God. That's it. There's only one God. That's what we know is that there is one singular God. But that brings me to the second thing I want to show you from the scriptures about God. And that is this. That God is completely different than you and me. God is different than us. And he's not just different like a tall person is different from a short person or somebody who speaks one language is different from somebody who speaks another language. God is infinitely more complex, above, more than, and outside of anything that exists or has ever existed. God is unique among everything that exists in all of creation. And I want to show you that from the Bible, and we're going to be in John chapter 1. Uh, John is the fourth book in the Christian New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's like the Beatles of the Bible, right? There's four of them. Um, but John uh, is, is a narrative of the life of Jesus, and he opens up mirroring Genesis chapter 1. And here's what he says in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, uh, does that sound familiar? That's how the Bible opens up. In the, in the book of Genesis. How many of you guys have ever uh, seen a Bible somewhere? Maybe you're at a hotel. You open it up. and you, How many of you guys have ever started reading the Bible from the very first words? Raise your hand. So you're familiar with that phrase, in the beginning. Now, Genesis says, in the beginning, what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John opens up the same way, talking about the exact same thing that you read at the very beginning of the Bible. And this is the very beginning of his story of the life of Jesus. And he says, in the beginning... The word already existed. So he doesn't, he's not, he, this, this is who he opens up with. Genesis opens up with God, Yahweh, uh, spelled Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. That's how Genesis opens up. And then, and then he opens up with, with word. Like the word already existed in the beginning. So before anything is created, back before the in the beginning, right, in the beginning, before the in the beginning, there's the word. The word already existed, John tells us. Back at it. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. Now, if you've been at Grace Church for any length of time, you've heard me talk about this before, that I can be with Billy Jane, but I can't be with Billy. Billy Jane is my wife. Not from some, some random chick I met in the mall. Uh, Billy. But I want to say Billy Jane because when I say Billy, it gives the wrong impression. So Billy Jane, right? So I can be with my wife, but I can't be with my wife and be my wife. Are you with me? So this, this is God using very simple and easy to understand words, talking about something that is so complex. We're not going to be able to wrap our heads around this fully. That there is... God, who is with his word and is his word. So that's the first thing that I can't wrap my head around. There's going to be two of them in today's teaching, and that's the first one. That, that there is a 
There's one God who is with himself and is himself. All right? It's a little trippy, but that's what it says. Now, here's the thing. This is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true, that the, the, the disciples weren't making this up. Because who would have made, <laughs> made that up? Like, who would have said, I'm going to invent a God that makes no sense to anybody, and we're never going to explain it? Cool? Cool. All right, let's go. Like, like that, it's almost a discrediting detail. Like, the only reason for it to be in there is that it would be true, how God has actually. And here's the thing. I'm okay with this, because if there is a God that humans can fully explain, I'm thinking that's a God that humans made up. Like, if there is a God, he would live in, like, a 3D world and we'd be stuck in 2D. Right? That's, that's kind of the way that I would expect it to be. So I'm all right with the idea that there are things about God I'm not going to fully, like, truthfully, that actually makes him more compelling to me. Uh, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, the word, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. Then the Hebrew scripture said it was God who gave life to everything that was created. And the answer to that is yes. Uh, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. So God's word is something that is outside of himself and is also himself. Now, John chapter 1, verse 14, makes the word a little bit more concrete for us. And here's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word, God's word, the word that was with God and the word that is God, the word became human. The word who is with God and is God. God became human. And when God became human, we know that the human who is also God, is the Word who became human, is what the Scripture says. He, the Word who became human and made His home among us, was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, and His name is what? Jesus. Now this isn't a completely foreign concept to Judaism even. Because there's a Jewish prophet named Isaiah who was talking about the day that God would send his Redeemer into the world, his Rescuer. Uh, other prophets referred to the Rescuer of mankind as the Holy One of Israel. Uh, the shortened word for the Rescuer is the word Messiah. And, and Isaiah describes the Messiah, I believe in, it's in chapter 6, uh, where he says that the Messiah would be a, a child would be born... A son would be given, so this would be a baby boy. And his name, the baby boy's name, would be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So even the Jewish Bible said that someday this baby that would show up would be called the Mighty God as a baby. So this is consistent with how God had revealed throughout history, he would show up in history. 
And we have seen his glories of the, uh, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So, here's the trippy part. Especially if you were raised in a mainline uh, a denomination as a child that doesn't get into this very much. Is that God is Jesus. And Jesus is God. But is also apart from God. How? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but that's not all. Because God also has a spirit who is him and is apart from him. In Acts chapter 5, uh, Peter is, is talking to a couple who had lied against God. And he said that your life would be required against you. And he says it in two different ways. Because you have lied against the spirit of God. And then he repeats it, he says, because you have lied against God. So God has a word who is distinct from him and is him. God has a spirit who is distinct from him and is him. And uh, all of this is trippy. So how in the world am I going to explain this in a way that we're going to be able to wrap our heads around it? And I found this amazing video on the BibleProject.com. Now, our church financially supports them on a monthly basis, which gives us the ability to use their videos as teaching uh, instruments, teaching materials, uh, whenever we teach at, at Grace Church uh, online this weekend. Uh, while we have permission from them to use it, YouTube always flags it. So I, I walk through the narration online this weekend. We, we take out the, uh, the, the, the voiceover. Uh, but since you guys are here in person, you get to hear the whole thing. Uh, so this is the video, and I hope it helps, like it helped me. So I've got a question that's always bothered me. The Bible says there's one God, but in other parts of the Bible, God is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. How can it be both? Yeah, this is a question that has mystified people for thousands of years. And while we can't fully explain it, I think we can better understand what it is that we can't fully understand. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, think of it this way. Here's a two-dimensional plane. And then here's an object with three dimensions that's going to pass through the 2D plane. Okay, right. From this perspective, the 3D object's above and below the plane. So now it makes sense. But imagine you were a 2D person stuck on the 2D plane. What would you see? I don't know. What would I see? Well, it would look like this. Oh, yeah, okay. From this perspective, it looks impossible. It's one object, and then two objects, and then three. But in reality, they're all one, just not in a way you're capable of understanding. Is that helpful for anybody? Wasn't that great? There's a whole lot. There's a video that they have just on the Shema also, and I was like, I'm going to play that too. Oh, and then I found another one. I'm going to play that too. And then I realized the whole sermon is just Bible Project videos. So I was like, I probably need to earn my paycheck this week is what I need to do. So... But if you guys want to, want to go to the Bible Project, it's theologically sound, it's biblically based. And they have a lot of videos like this where they can help you understand very complex ideas that are in the scriptures. But this isn't, this isn't something that you only see in the Christian New Testament. You, you see all, all three of those distinct, the triune nature of God and the baptism of Jesus when he's coming up out of the water, baptized by John the Baptist. The Bible says the heavens open and the voice of the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased and 
God's Spirit is seen in the baptism of Jesus uh, by a dove uh, descending uh, on Jesus. And that's why throughout Christian uh, church history, the Holy Spirit is always represented uh, by a dove. But this is also seen not just in the baptism of Jesus, but also in the very first chapter of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to have you guys go there. This is going to be the last passage of Scripture that we look up. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, Here's what it says. In the beginning, we know the next word. In the beginning, what? God, Yahweh. In the beginning, God, Yahweh, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the, the what of God? The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit who is God and is with God. And then God said, and God spoke using His what? His words. And we know from John that his word is with him and is him. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And some of you guys might would say, I think you're kind of reinterpreting Genesis chapter 1 through Christian eyes and not necessarily through Judaic eyes. Uh, but look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1 and Moses makes it real clear. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 where it says, then God, Yahweh, said, let, what's the next word? Us. Make man in what? Our image. Then the one God said, let, who's he speaking to? Who existed? No one but who? Himself. And then he says, to himself, let us make man in our image. Uh, they will be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the animals, wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God, the one God, singular God, created human beings in, and it goes back to singular his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He's the one, us God. That's who he is. There is one God who is an us God. And here's what I want you to get from this. That God has never been alone. In the sense that we think of being alone. That's why after God had created man, before he had created woman, and we know from the next chapter, chapter 2, that there was a period of time between, but it all had to have been on the sixth day, so it wasn't too long of a time, but there was a period of time between the creation of Adam and the creation of, of Eve, where Adam was alone, and this is before sin ever came into the world, before Adam and Eve had ever chosen to walk away from the source of, of life and all that was good and holy, and they created, we created uh, death and evil. We didn't create it, it's just the absence. Like, darkness isn't anything. Darkness is just the absence of what? Light. And death is just the absence of life, right? And evil is just the absence of of, of holiness. So when we chose to walk away from light, life, and holiness, 
we stepped into the vacuum of, of death, darkness, and evil. So before that ever happened, Adam was created singularly without Eve. And God said, it is not good that Adam is what? Alone. Because in that way, Adam did not reflect the image of God. Because God is not alone. So God creates a family in which mankind would thrive. And then when God pulls Abraham out from the Chaldean moon god worshipers and decides to use him to be the one through whom he would himself be born into history to, re to reconcile all of mankind to himself, he chose Abraham not by himself, but Abraham and his family. And then when his descendant eventually shows up, he invites all of those who had turned from their sin, their disobedience towards God and selfishness towards others to begin following Jesus. He invites them into a family. And he says that when we turn from our sins, when we call on God to forgive us for our sins, recognizing that God himself took on the punishment for the sins that we had committed against God and took the punishment that we deserved on, on our behalf. When we accept Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the payment for our sin, the Bible uses family terms to describe what happens in our relationship with him. That we go from orphans and it says we receive the adoption as sons and daughters. And Jesus says, you guys to me now are my heirs, my brothers and sisters. He uses family language. And that's why you cannot be healthy in isolation or live out your faith independent from a church family. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible because it is not good. For you to be alone. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not enough that you just attend a weekend service. Any more than it would be okay for your mom and dad for you just to show up, wave to everybody at Christmas and walk out the door as soon as the meal was over. The whole point of being a part of the family is the relationships, the next connections that we have to each other. And that brings me to the last thing that I want to share with you guys. And that is this. Everything in existence comes from God. Therefore, he has the right to be worshipped. To be recognized as this. Like, I'm not being a jerk if I expect my dog to come to me when I whistle for it. It's my dog. Not that you're a dog. But I don't want my son Ryan calling anybody else dad. And I'm not an arrogant jerk to expect that I'm the only person he calls dad. That's my right. I'm not a jerk to expect him to recognize me as father. And I'm not a jerk to expect and even demand that he show some respect. That's not inappropriate. That's rational. It's reasonable. That's a reasonable expectation. Would you guys agree with that? Yes or no? 
And therefore, God has the right to expect to be recognized as the source of everything good in your world. And God, it's okay for him to get upset when we ignore him, when we disobey him, when we live without regard to his position in our life, just like I would be crushed and broken if my kids lived without regard to the recognition of my role in their life. So God can say, I am. I am what? I am everything to you. I am the source of you. I am the end of you. I am the good of you. I am the elevation of you. I am the debasement of you. I am me. And he's not a jerk to introduce himself that way. Because it is who he is. And if you want a healthy relationship with Yahweh, you must recognize him for who he actually is. Or your relationship will always be dysfunctional with God. Because some of us really do think God exists to serve you. Which is the reason why whenever something doesn't go your way, you get mad at him. You ever have a kid do that to you and they didn't get their way? Right? A good parent doesn't yield. Not a good parent, right? Neither will he. He's not going to be a worse parent than what you would expect to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There never was a time in which God did not exist. Where did God come from? His answer to Moses was that he always just is. When Moses said, who should I tell everybody sent me? God said, tell them I am. That's a weird answer, isn't it? And that's the second thing that we can't wrap our heads around. John chapter 1, verse 3, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. That is why God has the right to expect that we would worship him, because everything belongs to him. And as the owner of all creation, he has the right to be recognized in my life. So what do we do with a teaching like this? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to humble ourselves and recognize the world does not revolve around Sean. Right? That's the first thing. That God doesn't owe me my Christmas list of wishes. That God is not in my debt. God is my God. He doesn't exist for my pleasure. I exist for His. He does not exist for my good, for my plan, for my agenda. I exist for His good, His plan, and His agenda. And my life, uh, truthfully, if you want to learn how to thrive in this world, submit to the authority of God in your life. And you'll watch your pride begin to drift away. And when that happens, watch the way every other relationship in your life begins to grow. You let go of the idea that you are what everybody else ought to be about. It puts things into perspective and into the appropriate order. Humble ourselves. 
Um, so maybe this would be the teaching where you would recommit yourself to living under the authority of God in every area of your life. And I don't know what area of your life that you're fighting God in, and I don't know what you didn't get that made you mad at God. But maybe now because you have a healthier understanding or more accurate understanding of who he is, maybe today you could let that go. Or maybe your next step is just to spend more time with him on a daily basis. And while it is January 16th, it's not too late to start a Bible reading plan. You have a smartphone, probably, right? Unless you're 80 or older. And then you have an analog Bible. You have a hard copy, right? You could sign up for a Bible reading plan or just spend a few minutes with God every single day. I think he has the right to expect that from you. Don't you? That we would spend a little bit of time with him every day? That we would read his words every once in a while? Maybe you just pick up the Bible anywhere, but pick, up, pick it up in the same place every day and read until you find a verse that you like. And then stop. Because it spoke to you, right? And then meditate on that verse for a little bit. Maybe you'd pull out a journal or your cell phone and take out the notes app. And then just rewrite that verse in your own words. And then ask yourself, what does this verse tell me about God? Tell me about me or tell me about the world that I need to know. What should I ought to do differently today as a result of what I just read today? Maybe you could do that. Or, or maybe you could be more of a part of your church family. Maybe you could do that. Maybe you're disconnected and you could be a part of our life groups. We're doing sign-ups last week and this week. And maybe you're disconnected. And I'm, by the way, I'm really glad that you're here. And I'm not trying to push you into anything. But if this is going to be your church home, then jump in. Like, I don't think you are gifted and put together by God to live on the fringes of everything. I, I think the rest of us would benefit from knowing you more, is all. And I don't know what your step would be, but I hope that God's spirit, the part of God that fills us, has already told you which thing you need to focus on. So if you would bow your head with me, and we'll pray to you. Yahweh, our creator. Father God, I am grateful that you, after having created everything, still wanted me to exist. That while there were other times where my mom and dad were brought together and no child came from it, it did when I showed up. So I, I'm, I'm not an accident. Even if they didn't plan me, you did. Um, there's scriptures that says that there's a life that you planned for me. Ephesians chapter 2, 10 that you created for me long ago, that I would, I would live in it. And that's the life that I want for me. I want to live the life you dreamed up for me. And I know that my willingness to obey and to follow determines how much of that life I experience. And God, I want it all. I don't want to miss any of it. Maybe your prayer is, God, I want to be a part of your family. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And I, and, I, and I accept that. While I would never ask you, Jesus, to do that for me, I'd be crazy to ignore it since you volunteered. So take away my sin too. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. I'm all in. I want to be your kid. I want to be in your family. God, I want you to adopt me as your son or your daughter. Make that your prayer. Maybe, honestly, you've been treating God like your genie. And maybe because God didn't give you all of your wishes, there's a part of you that's a little angry at him right now. 
And may you recognize that you've been a little fresh. And so your prayer is, God, I'm humbling myself before you. And while I want great things in my life, I want the right things in my life more. And I'll trust that the right things are the great things. While there are things that I don't understand, I'm committing myself to trust you. God, I trust you. And I'm sorry for being angry. I'm sorry for demanding. I'm thankful that I can ask of you anything I want to ask of you. But God, I only want to receive from you what you know is best. And that's going to be my prayer from now on. I'll ask what I want, but I'll expect only what you want. Can you make that your prayer? Or God, remind me before I, I go to bed tonight to spend some time with you on my own. When I wake up tomorrow, help me to remember to spend some time with you on my own. Make that your prayer. Or maybe this is your church family now, but you're kind of that distant cousin who doesn't know everybody yet, and you can get more involved some way. And maybe it's through a life group, maybe it's a ministry team, I don't know, maybe it's not, I don't, I don't know. But your prayer would be, God, help me to find a way to get more involved in this church family in a way that fits who I am and my personality, something that fits me. God, I'm asking for your will to be done in us. God, you created us. You know what's best. I pray that your Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts to tell us, which, to prompt us, which way to go. And I pray that we would have the trust and confidence in you to follow and obey every prompting you put in our heart. That's our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' great name. And we all say together, amen.